Good morning, everyone. Time to begin our worship service this morning. I'd like to welcome everyone here this morning. If we have anyone visiting with us, certainly glad to have you and invite you back next Sunday morning. We'll go over our notes here this morning. Carol Galloway will be uh, having a cardio version procedure to get her heart back in rhythm. Keep Carol and Clinton in your prayers. And we've been asked to pray for Glenn Earl. He has COVID at this time. Continue to keep Glenn in your prayers. Also pray for Alan Brown from Chesapeake, who was life flighted this past week, suffering from COVID to West Virginia University in Morgantown. He is in critical condition and has been placed on a vent. Remember Alan and his parents in your prayers. Chris's mother, Debbie Townsend, was taken to the Nashville Hospital on Wednesday. She's undergoing some tests to determine uh, why she has internal bleeding. She's expected to have surgery on Tuesday. So let's... Uh, Remember Chris's mother, Debbie Townsend. Also, we uh, noted last week that Destiny Spears has COVID and expecting her first child. So let's remember them in our prayers. And also, I've been told that Denise Spears is, uh, has COVID also. So let's remember Denise. Continue to uh, keep Kristen and Rusty and others uh, in, in our prayers with their chemo. Also, I had a call yesterday from uh, Hank Picklesheimer, and Hank said that he had all of his CAT scans and everything done, and as of now, he is cancer-free. And he said he's been that way uh, for a year. I think it might have been one year to the day. So he wanted to let everyone know that and thank everyone for the prayers. So that's just uh, awesome news. 
Also, sympathy to Hazel, to Hazel Brazell, who lost her sister, Hilda, last week. This is the second sister of Hazel's who passed away within a month. So let's remember Hazel on her prayers. And uh, If you haven't picked up our bulletin sheet, please do so as you leave for information uh, for others listed in need of prayers. Also, we're going to have that... Uh, the NECO food drive again. We had that last week here. And I don't know how many boxes we gave out. It, it was a lot. And uh, we're going to have that again. Just found out on Tuesday. Was Monday. Okay. Told you I just found out. Have it Monday from 2 to 4. And it's going to be the same that just like we did it last week. Truck's going to show up, unload, and we're going to hand out food to the community. And that's that, that's a great program. Also, uh, Dean Cooper. Dean will be taken to uh, uh, Health South for rehab this week to help give him get some of his strength back it, from COVID. It just left him weak, and uh, he's going to be going to Health South and be doing some therapy. So let's uh, keep Dean in our prayers. And one more thing. Jerry just told me that... Uh, Jackson uh, is 4.05 valedictorian of his class, so congratulations to Jackson. And Jerry and I both was trying to spell valedictorian, so <laughs> we don't want anybody to look at our notes. We'll throw these away. So, so if there's anybody else that uh, has anything, uh, okay, bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, again, we're so thankful for another day of life. Father, we're thankful for uh, all that you do for us, all that you give us. We realize that all good things come from you. We're thankful, Father, that we're able to be here this morning and worship you, that we're healthy enough to do that. And Father, we're mindful of those who aren't able to, uh, to be here because of sickness and Father, we're mindful of those who aren't here because they, they choose not to be. And, and we pray for them, Lord. We, we pray that uh, maybe something that, that we can do, that we can say, that we can pray about, and can make a difference in someone's life. Father, we uh, thank you for blessing this congregation. We pray now that you will continue to be with us, Father, as, uh, as we're able to be back and worship you and and, Father, we pray that that continues to be the case, that our country will continue to get better. And, and Father, that, uh, that this virus, uh, that we can beat it and get back to a normal life. And, and Father, we just pray that we'll be able to uh, get back to our regular services soon and meeting back on Sunday evenings and, and Wednesday evenings. And, and Father, because we know, we know that we need that, Father. We know that, that we are weak, and, and Father, when you, set the, when you set that up for us to, to meet here together here and worship you and, and, and to surround your table once a week, Father, we, we know that we need that reminder. So we just pray that we'll be able to get back to normal, and, and we pray, Father, that uh, people will see that in their hearts and they need to be back worshiping you. And, and we do understand that those people that, that are still uh, 
sick, those elderly people that can't come. And, and, but we just pray for this whole situation. Father, we pray for Chris's mom, her surgery coming up uh, this week, that, uh, that there'll be a success, that you'll bless her. And pray for uh, Carol's surgery. And we pray, Father, for Dean Cooper as uh, he enters uh, himself for therapy. We pray, God, that, that you'll be with him and be with those who are working with him, that he can get his strength back and, and get back to a good portion of, of his normal life, Father. And we pray for all those mentioned here this morning. We're so thankful for the, for the news for Hank. We just pray you'll continue to bless him and, and be with Rusty and Kristen and, and others, Father Randy Ash, that, uh, that you'll be with him and bless him. And, and Father, we're just thankful for, for all that we have, our spiritual blessings and, and, and our physical blessings, Father. We're thankful that... Uh, that you give us our, our jobs and, and, and our means, and, and we're thankful for that. And, and, and we just pray that, uh, that you will always continue to bless us, and we will give you thanks, Father, for, for uh, all that you do and all that we have and for our offerings. We thank you for Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 234, Higher Ground. 234. I'm pressing forward, we upward pray. Feel my mind, day. Each every day. Still so praying now. Higher ground. More than I feel. Higher ground. Lord, let me go. Let me hope and let me say. 
Next hymn this morning, number 230. 230. Hide me, O my Savior. After this hymn, Casey Baker will have our scripture in the prayer. Hide me, O my Savior. Hide me in thy holy place. Resting there beneath thy Scripture this morning is Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit? his very soul or his very self if anyone is ashamed of me and my words the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels let's pray father we come to you this morning thankful for this assembly father and this opportunity to assemble we come here, Father, hopeful for the future, Father, the future with you and in your glory in heaven. Father, we, we pray for those who aren't here, whether it be for sickness, for 
falling away, Father, for, for fear of, of the pandemic, Father. We pray that you comfort them and, and restore them, Father, in whatever way they need to, to rekindle their relationship with you, Father, and join this assembly once again. Keep us safe as we go throughout the week. Keep us mindful of you, Father, and of your son's death. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Next step this morning, number 764, when we meet in sweet communion. Lives are very busy these days. It seems like even more so than than in the past years of our lives. It seems like everything is 
stressful and there's a lot of strain on our each each of us. Uh, we seem distracted by everything that goes on and sometimes we even have an overload of things that just are hard to deal with. But this morning at this time, as we come together in our service once a week, we need to uh, clear our minds and just slow down, take a deep breath even, and, and just be calm and try to get our minds on one purpose. We, have, we all together are here for one purpose, and that is to have communion together to uh, remember Christ and the sacrifices. And I tried to keep things simple for my own well-being, but I wanted to define communion from the dictionary. Part of the, the definition is the sharing or exchanging of thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on the spiritual level, and also the service of Christian worship at which bread and wine are consecrated, being declared sacred and holy and devoted. When we partake of these two elements, we know that the, the bread represents the body of Christ, and we as one here today are one body in Christ. The unleavened bread represents his broken body, and the fruit of the vine we know represents his blood that was shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? In verse 17, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And reading on in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, so also is Christ. And finishing up in scriptures, 1 John 1, 3, Truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us now go to God in prayer as we pray for the bread that we're about to partake. Our Father in heaven, as we try this morning to clear our minds and, and think about all of the, the good things in life, God, that you have blessed us with and that our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave his life that we might be forgiven of our sins. And we remember this at this time. We remember his broken body and the terrible things that took place as Christ was crucified. Help us now as, as we break this bread to concentrate and think about Christ and his sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us also go to prayer as we partake of the fruit of the vine, which represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. Pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, 
We are thankful once again for the sacrifice that was made for us. We feel so unworthy, Lord, of your Son, Jesus Christ, dying for our sins. We're thankful, Lord, that you did have compassion and pity upon us as, as we remember Christ, our Savior, and we're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our communion service, but also at this time the elders have expressed the desire that we, we pray for our offering. We, we have been blessed with so much in this country. We live in the greatest country in the world. We have so much to be thankful for, and, and uh, as, as we go to God again, let's thank him for all the material blessings and, and our ability to give back and, and support the, the church and, and all the good things that the church stands for. Let's go to prayer, prayer one more time. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning that you have richly blessed each and every one of us. We, we look around at, at so many people that are hurting and struggling at this time, people that that just barely survive in the, the harsh conditions of the weather and the, the floods and rains, everything that, that happens, Lord, even it makes life harder for those that have so little. But we are blessed, God, and we ask you to help us as we see those in need, that we, we do things to help others and, and always are aware of those that, that are without and, and try to do our part as a church and as an individual. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 236. 236. His yoke is easy. <clears throat> He won me by his love. I'll serve him all my years of life and well with him above. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. I have his soul, I have his soul. His service is He's dear to 
Invitation hymn this morning, number 23. All things are ready. Hymn number 23. This time, Brother Chris. Good morning. You ever wanted something so bad you could taste it? You think about it all the time. It's, it's kind of all you want. Today we're talking about a story in Mark chapter 6 where there are some inflamed passions, both as you might be thinking and otherwise. There are several people in this story who want something so bad they can taste it. We're looking at Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 14. We're looking at the story of the death of John the Baptist. This is a flashback. So back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus starts his public ministry as John is arrested. Back in Mark 1, verse 14, Mark tells us that little tidbit. Now in Mark chapter 6, Mark's ready to tell us the, the rest of John's story. He died back in Mark 1, but Mark hasn't... He's, remember, Mark is more of a, a preacher. He is a historian. So he's going to take this, this, this episode out of history, and he's going to put it in his gospel in a place that serves his purposes. And so what's, John, what's Mark's purposes for telling us about John's death right here? That's what we're going to get to eventually. You meet a man named Herod. This Herod is not the Herod that you meet at the beginning of Jesus' life. This is his son. Uh, Herod the Great is the, the guy, is the king of all of this area, uh, more than Palestine, but uh, at least Israel and, uh, and the areas that surround it, Herod, is, Herod the Great is king of that area. When he dies, his kingdom is split into four pieces amongst his four sons. Herod Antipas is one of those sons. That's our Herod today. Herod has the unfortunate uh, quality uh, of not being able to restrain himself. He rules in this area you see of Galilee and the, the area in Perea, uh, marked number three here. That's, that's his area. John has come into Herod's life because of his lack of self-control. Herod is married, that's in quotation marks, to a woman named Herodias. She's not his wife. She is his brother Philip's wife. Herodias has left Philip, her husband, and she has... Uh, 
joined herself to Herod here. When John hears about this, uh, he can't stand it. Uh, he calls this out for what it is, sin. He comes up to the most powerful person in his area. Herod's not a king, not necessarily. He's a tetrarch, meaning a fourth of, but he is the political power in this area. He has the power of life and death over John. And he's about to enact that power. John comes to, to Herod and he says, you can't do this. What you're doing is wrong and God will hold you accountable for this. Please stop. Now, from what I read in Mark, it looks like Herod Antipas would have just let John go. It didn't seem to bother Herod all that much that John was preaching against him. I don't know why. I don't know if he didn't take him seriously at that time. He will. Or if maybe Herod's just more of a laid-back personality. I don't know. I know Herod is a sly fox. Remember, Jesus calls Herod a sly fox. This is that guy. So he's got some political suave here. That, uh, that we need to pay attention to. But for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to be affected by John's preaching. He's not offended by it. Uh, and he looks like would have just let it go. But his wife, Herodias, is incensed by John's calling out their sin. And in fact, it looks like to me from what Mark tells us that she is the reason that Herod has John imprisoned. So... On his birthday, it's common for rulers in his era and in his area, uh, especially the Caesars on their birthdays, would throw these great feasts, these massive banquets, uh, and they would uh, have this lavish party. So Herod, envisioning himself as a more powerful person than he is maybe, uh, wants to throw this lavish feast for himself on his birthday. So he does. Remember, he's the powerful guy in this story. And on this feast, Herodias sends her daughter. Her name, history tells us, is Salome, possibly. Uh, she is not Herod's daughter. She is Philip's daughter, so Herod's niece. She comes in and she dances for Herod. We don't know what this dance looked like. It was so provocative, though, that Herod Antipas promises her whatever she wants as long as she keeps dancing. So out of this rash oath... Herod is going to have to pay a price that he doesn't want to pay. The girl is, from what I'm understanding, fairly young. At least she doesn't want, doesn't think that she understands everything that's going on. So she runs back to her mom, Herodias. She says, what should I ask for? Herodias' immediate answer is the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. You go back through and read this story for yourself and you'll see all these nuances that we're, that we're pulling out today. Immediate. She didn't have to stop and think. The one thing that this woman wants out of life is John the Baptist silenced. Now, he's become even more of a burr under her saddle than he was before Herod had him imprisoned. Herod has been listening to John. He's been focused on what John is teaching. In fact, Herod has John brought out of the dungeon and into his banquet hall, into his, into his throne room repeatedly. And they talk about righteousness and sin and God's kingdom and what God would have from his people. And Herod is starting to listen. So if you go back to Mark chapter 4, you'll, you'll be able to pick out which type of soil is Herod. Which one was he? Was he good or was he rocky on the path, on the thorny soil? Which one was he? Well, right now it looks like Herod is good soil. He's being told hard things, right? 
He's being told something very difficult, and he's not pushing back. He's listening, and it's beginning to affect him. In fact, he is protecting John, is what Mark tells us, uh, from Herodias, because she has, obviously, ill intentions on his life. But now he's made this rash oath, and he can't protect John any longer. At this banquet are Herod's military leaders. There are some noblemen from Galilee, and there are some high-ranked officials in this gathering. Now, these are good people to have a banquet with, but they're bad people to make a rash oath in front of. Because if he doesn't keep this oath that he made to Herodias, guess what's going to happen to these guys? They're going to view him as weak. And what happens to a weak ruler in the first century? They're overthrown. They're the ones who find themselves on the gallows, on the chopping block. Herod cannot have that. And so his heart turns from what we perceive to be good soil, listening to the gospel, hearing the truth, and not pushing back on it. He's good soil in the beginning, but when persecution comes up against him through his own military, this possibility, it's even a likelihood that they're going to overthrow him, kill him, and replace him with the military. When that happens, when that, that possibility comes up, what happens to Herod's heart? He switches it, doesn't he? And he becomes rocky soil. And so he allows John's death. He didn't want to. It was not his intention to. But he put himself in a situation that was very difficult. And his faith wasn't ready for it just yet. He wasn't ready to count the cost for following God. He hadn't stopped and thought about all the ramifications of this decision. That he was getting to, but he wasn't there just yet. And so he sends an executioner, executioner down to the dungeons. He has John beheaded. He brings the, the head back to uh, the throne room and he hands it to Salome, who takes it back to her mother, Herodias. And they have a big party. They continue their big party. John's disciples hear about it and they come and they bury his body. Now, what I want you to see after. This section ends is, I'm betting your Bible's a lot like mine, and it starts a brand new section right after that little, little piece there in verse 29, Mark 6, verse 29. Then you've probably got a little subheading there, don't you? Something about maybe, uh, mine says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. You've probably got another little subheading there that indicates a break in the text. Those are not inspired, obviously. Those were put in by somebody much later. Uh, even the verses are not inspired. Those were put in during the 1200s. And so a lot of times when we see that break in Scripture, we think, oh, well, he's moved on to a different topic. He hasn't. Mark is in the same exact vein here. Now, remember last week when we talked about Jesus sending out the 12, the 12 apostles? They're supposed to go out and they're going to teach. They're going to be rejected just like he was rejected in Nazareth. They're going to be rejected what do you do when you're rejected with Jesus? When you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. Don't, don't get stuck here because there's, there's a great job to be about. The, the time is of the essence and you don't have time to, to, to get stuck here. So shake the dust off your feet and, and move on when you're rejected. Then he comes into this story about John the Baptist being beheaded because he spoke about righteousness but then look in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So 
right after this, we're going to get into this next week, but right after this is the feeding of the 5,000 in this desolate place where Jesus has taken them off to, by, to be by themselves so they could rest for a little bit because they've had a long, however long it's been, two weeks, months. I don't know exactly how long it's been. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it's been a long journey for them. So they're exhausted. Jesus knows what it's like to be exhausted, right? Takes one nap in his entire lifetime, apparently. Back in Mark chapter 4, he understands it. So he says, come, come, come back out of the wilderness. We're going to talk. I want to hear all the stories and just kind of rest for a little bit. He doesn't get the opportunity to rest because 5,000 people are going to, 5,000 men are going to come over and he's going to feed them. We'll get into that next week. But what I want you to see now is John has sandwiched John, or Mark has sandwiched John the Baptist's story right in the middle of sending out the 12 apostles and them coming back. So these two stories are intermingled. John wants, them, wants us to read them together. And so what's his point here? What's John's point here? What I want you to grab from, from this text there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about. The one main thing today that I want you to grab from this text is if you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, devotedly, it will cost you. You should do it anyhow. Jesus talks an awful lot about the cost of discipleship. You see the cost of discipleship in the lives of the apostles, don't you? Jesus says very early on, you're going to be rejected. People are not going to like what you're teaching them. Why? Because you're teaching about righteousness. You're teaching about sin. You're teaching that people are far away from God and, and God wants them to be close to Him. His desire is for them all to repent so that everyone can come to salvation. But some people don't want to hear that. In fact, three out of the four types of soil parts that there are, don't want to hear about that. And so there's going to be rejection. Ultimately, the apostles are going to be killed because they refuse to be silenced on this matter. They refuse to stop saying, Jesus is the answer to all of your problems. Most significantly, and ultimately, the problem of sin. Being reconnected with God. Jesus is the answer to that problem. The apostles refused to stop talking about that. And so ultimately, they were silenced by the world. They were rejected, right? Here, you find the very first person in the Christian age that's rejected for their faith and pays the ultimate price in John the Baptist. He spoke to the world, a powerful political figure, about righteousness and sin and how that cannot remain in his life. That it was hurting him. Even though he seemed to be enjoying it. Sin was going to win out in the end. And he was going to pay the price for it. On the day of judgment. He was going to be separated eternally for God. Tortured and punished forever. Because of how he acted here. John had such incredible love. Obviously shown to him first by God himself. And John's just emulating that like the sun, uh, like the moon emulates the sun's light. He reflects it. John's just reflecting God's love. And so he can't allow Herod to stay in that position. And so he talks to him about sin and righteousness. 
Herod rejects that. Herodias rejects that. And so he pays the ultimate price for his faith. If you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, devotedly, not lukewarm, not, not halfway, but wholeheartedly, it's going to cost you. It might cost you your life. It costs John his life. It costs the apostles their life. To a man, it costs them their lives. John the apostle being the sole exception, although he was exiled for not being silent about what Jesus has done. So if you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, it could cost you. And it could cost you everything. It's worth it. You should still follow. Listen, listen to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27. Let me get over to it. Starting in verse 26, he says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The Hebrew writer points out two categories of people for us. There's a whole world out there who don't know about judgment. We used to. Somehow we've forgotten. Our culture doesn't like judgment. We like everyone to be right. We want to be tolerated. Everyone should have their say. That's not what the Bible teaches, is that there's a right and there's a wrong. And on that day, on the day of judgment, God's going to look at an awful lot of people and he's going to say, depart, I never knew you. And they're going to go and spend eternity being punished because we didn't convince them that there was a Savior, that he loved them. That's most of the world. If I'm reading the Bible correctly, that's most of the world. Back in, back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Jesus says, you know, the, the way to destruction is, do you remember the word he uses? wide, right? There's an awful lot of people on that road. It's not, uh, it's crowded. But the way that leads to life is very narrow. There's not many people down that path. Most of the world is hurtling toward this day. And they don't even know it. Because we haven't told them. That's not the only category John leaves us here with, or that the Hebrew writer leaves us here with, though. In Matthew 7, verse 21, I think I've got it on the screen, yeah. Jesus says, there's going to be folks that thought they were saved on the day of judgment that were wrong. There's going to be people in the church that thought they were saved, but they were wrong. Jesus says, there's going to be people on that day that say, Lord, Lord, they're calling him Master. They've submitted to Him. But they didn't submit all the way. Or they didn't submit forever. They didn't lead wholehearted, devoted lives to Him. And so they're going to fall into this exact same category that the Hebrew writer talks about in 10 uh, verses 26-27. On that day, there will be some fearful expectations of judgment. Not just with the world, well, some of us, too. Because we haven't stopped to count the cost. 
If you follow Jesus, it will cost you. And it just might end up costing you everything. Our culture is heading farther and farther away from the biblical ideals, isn't it? You don't have to purvey the news regularly to be able to see that. We're getting farther and farther away in the animosity toward God's values and His ideals is getting hotter every year. doesn't matter who's president. doesn't matter who's in control of the Senate or the House. It's the way our culture is shifting. We may be there five years, ten years, fifty years. I don't know. But I can see the movement, and I bet you can too. If you're not wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus... You're going to be pushed into making compromises with your faith. It's not going to be the grand gestures, I would imagine. There's not going to be anyone that points a gun in your head and says, Stop following Christ, disavow Christ, or I'm going to pull the trigger. That's not going to happen, I would imagine. I think the ridicule and the mocking and the silliness of our faith, the foolishness, of our faith, to use a term that Paul coined in 2 Corinthians, is going to start degrading us. We better be wholeheartedly devoted to Him. When that comes, or we're going to fall. And we must not be in this category of people that say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do these things in Your name? We need to do everything in our power to stay out of that category. God doesn't tell us a whole lot, awful lot about hell. What He does tell us leads us with the impression that you do everything in your power to stay away from this place. It is horrible. Count the cost for following Him. Count the cost. When, when people would come up to Jesus and they say, I want to follow you. Remember Legion? Back in Matthew or Mark chapter 5, Legion wanted to follow Jesus, at least the guy that used to be Legion, used to be inhabited by all the demons. He wants to follow Jesus now. Why does he want to do that, you think? Why does he want to do that? Other people are going to come up to Jesus and they'll say, can I follow you? I want to be one of your disciples. And Jesus is going to look at him and say, well, you know, the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. I'm homeless right now, and you want to follow me? Does that seem like a very good idea to you? He wants people to stop and think about the cost. What are you going to have to give up to follow? Don't start following and stop. A lot of us have started following. I want to encourage you not to look back. Jesus would put it like this, a, a man that comes up to his plow and he puts his hand on the plow and he starts. A lot of us have started well, right? He says, a man that puts his hand on the plow and he starts, but looks back. Do you remember what he, how he ends that analogy? He's not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. The price you pay here, the devotion you show here, affects your time into eternity. It affects where you spend eternity. I want to encourage you to count the cost of following Him. See it. Wrestle with it. Be okay with it taking your life. 
Be okay with years of ridicule. Be okay with losing friends, losing jobs, losing opportunities. Be okay with being on the outskirts, the outsider. Because that looks like where it's headed. And even if it wasn't heading that way in America, we need to be there anyhow. We think differently. We look differently. We're transformed. We are His people. Not following the mold of the world like, Roman, like Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're not conformed to that image. We're transformed. More and more every day into the image of Christ. So I want to encourage you today. Struggle with what it costs you to follow Jesus. Look at that in the eye. See it. Make a list if you want to. But pay attention to that. Acknowledge those things and do it anyhow. Back to Legion real quick. I asked earlier why he followed Jesus. Why in the world would he follow Jesus? If you look at it logically, there's not an awful lot of other possibilities, are there? If you don't if you believe that He is God. That's what Mark's been drilling into our minds since day one here, right? If you believe that Jesus is God, you what? You submit to Him without compromise and without question. Without compromise and without question. If you don't, there's only a fearful expectation of judgment. So just look at it logically for a second. Pull back and think, I believe he's God. I can't get around it. No matter what anybody else says, I think he's God. I think he came to earth. I think these are his words here that he's printed out for me in scripture. I think he tells me how to live and how to be pleasing to him. I either follow that or I don't. I either follow that wholeheartedly or I don't. Remember the lukewarm church in Revelation? Laodicea? He wasn't happy with them, right? Our lukewarmness is going to get us in trouble. Eternally punished type of trouble. Back to Legion. Why he followed them was love. Jesus had removed this man's demons. Literally had removed his demons. He's wanting to do the exact same thing for you today with all the things that are binding you, that are enslaving you, all the things that are hurting you. He wants to take those things. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 he says, Come to me. I'm meek and lowly in heart, right? I'll take your burden. You take my burden, counting the cost to following him. This morning, if you're ready to lay those things down that are hurting you, that are weighing you down, that, are, that have enslaved you, why don't you make that decision this morning? Be baptized into His blood, having all your sins washed away, rising up to become a brand new creation in His eyes, wholeheartedly, devotedly following Him. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you're just struggling. It's easy to struggle, especially... And what we've been through over the last year or so. It's easy to struggle. I mean, who hasn't struggled this year, right? 
Maybe you're struggling today. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to devotedly follow Him with everything you have. Won't you come this morning as we stand, as we stand and sing? All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come for the table now is our service this morning. We'll sing hymn number 231, Hilltops of Glory. Sing the first and last verse, and Brother James Ward will lead us in prayer. Yeah. 
Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this day. Thank you so much for all that you've given us, Father. Thankful for the opportunity that we had to come here and hear a good lesson from your word and sing songs of praises and commune with our brothers and sisters together here. Father, we're thankful and grateful for this church, for what it means to each and every one of us and to the community. We pray that you continue to be with the elders as they lead us. Uh, pray that you continue to be with Chris and Dave as well. Father, we're mindful of those that uh, have been affected through this, these last few weeks from the storms and we pray that if we can see a need anywhere in the community that uh, we show our Christian love and spirit and lend a helping hand wherever we can. Father, we're mindful of those that are unable to be with us, the ones that are sick or hurting, and pray that you be with each and every one of them as well. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. Thank you for the life that we have. Thank you for the homes that we have. We know that all good things come from you, and we're so grateful. Please forgive us when we do wrong, and thank you so much for your son. It's through his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.